Hello and welcome to If You've Come This Far, our podcast where we set out to have authentic conversations with interesting people about navigating life and making life more fulfilling and more impactful. And of course, we hope to learn something along the way. My name's Chris. And I'm Sean. Just a little bit about Men Living. Men Living is a nonprofit organization. We bring guys together for connection, to talk about stuff that matters, to work on ourselves a little bit, and to find some community and brotherhood. You can learn more about Men Living at menliving.org. And if you've come this far, maybe you're willing to come a little bit further. So in this episode, we get to spend time with Mike Rosen. Mike's been a friend of mine for nearly a decade. He is the father to three boys, uh, an elementary school teacher. He's a talented furniture carpenter, and he's a really hardcore distance runner, which is the part I least understand. Mike's also one of the most genuinely modest and curious people I know. And we get to talk to him about all these things that he does and that he's talented at and, and about the lessons that each has taught him. Mike also shares what he's learned about what to do in life when things don't go according to plan. Welcome, Mike Rosen. Thank you, Sean Emerson. To the to the Men Living podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. If you've if you've come this far, I like that title. So i I got a place where I want to start. Um, I find you to be a very interesting dude, and and so I'm curious. And you've got a lot of interests. But what's what what would you say is more difficult? Making a kitchen table, running a marathon, or teaching sixth graders math? <laughs> which is more, so if I understand your question, which is most difficult or more difficult? And you could go through each one table. of those things and, and give us insight uh, into, your, into your multiple crafts. It's uh, a good question. Um, way, off, way to start off with an easy one. Uh, the... Um, I would offer they're all equally difficult. None is any more harder, hard than the other. And and I say that because and and I'll speak from my experience. It's though each of those challenge me in a way that the others don't. Uh, so there's some. It's just sort of like a Venn diagram where there's three circles and they all kind of overlap uh, in terms of the mental challenge, the physical challenge. Um, the preparation, the execution, all of them are different. All of them, all three of them terrify me. Uh, all three of them, um, I feel like I'm okay at. Uh, and all three of them keep me sharp and keep my my brain working in a different way. Is there is there any difference in the fact that making the table and running running the race are primarily just you and and the class of sixth graders involves trying to manage other people a little bit you know my worst day of teaching is one or my hardest day of teaching is one that typically reflects upon my absence of preparation and the other two are the same way whereas the the, the process in in running a marathon for me it follows the same template as building a table and the most terrifying part for me of both of those is the reveal. So it started like, um, 
here I've been working on. So I, I uh, it, for me, it's analogous I, I, to a sculptor who has this giant block of, of granite. And for months, they just slowly, ding, 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 that's the noise it makes. They, they slowly chip away at it. And they're creating this, this, this piece of, of art. There's no real shortcut to it. You can't just take off big chunks. You got to put in the work every single day. And at some point, they say, here you go. Here it is. Here is the, the, the culmination of all this work. Here is the, the, the byproduct of months and months and hours and hours of toil and sweat. And here it is. I sure hope you like it. And, and so when, for me, the hardest part of, of building a table isn't the building it. It's the moment the customer sees it because I'm scared to death. Um, and there's a lot of work that I'm doing around that. Um, but, but it's the most vulnerable moment for me. And it's similar to uh, just about the minute before the gun goes off in a marathon where I'm scared to death. I know in the back of my head, I've done the work. I know I've done everything I need to do. I know my table's beautiful, but I'm scared to death. Um, so those two are, are, are harder for me. Again, if I mess up a lesson on fractions, like the kids, they don't really listen to me anyway. So it's no big deal. Um, but if I shortchange the table making process, then I'm going to pay for that. Or if I shortchange the running process, if I'm not focusing on one aspect of that training, whether it be nutrition, recovery, sleep, any of them, then I know I'm going to pay for that. So it, it's, um, it's equally terrifying and equally comforting for me. Mike, are, are, do you consider yourself a patient person? Uh, I do. <laughs> do you consider me a patient person, Chris? Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, I, well, the reason I asked the question is because, so I, you know, that I work sort of tangentially in the education space, but I could never, I, I've said this a million times, I could never have been an educator because I don't have patience. Uh, I, so I, I, the story I make up about great teachers, and I, I from what I know about you, I believe you to be a, a great teacher, is that you. you're, you have endless patience. And also, it seems that if you're going to be a carpenter, a, a good deal of patience is required. I'm, I'm sure there's a lesson somewhere in all three of those endeavors around sort of like, you know, measure twice, cut once, right? Uh, uh, so I, that's the reason I ask. And I just, I, where I was going is I wonder if there's, if there are any lessons that you've learned from all three of the, any common lessons from all three of those things? Uh, that's a good question. And, and uh, again, thank you for those kind words. I would offer that, uh, again, I don't know like whom to compare my level of patience to, but I know that um, I was imprinted pretty, not indelibly, uh, by the, the degree of impatience that my dad had with me. And, and those memories are never far. And, and that informs, I think, uh, a higher degree of patience in me, a higher degree of empathy with my boys, um, a higher degree of, of patience and, and uh, consideration really for anybody. Cause my dad would just had the, it was just the opposite. It was just like a, a powder keg waiting to go off. And, and, you know, I remember to this day, him just going off. Cause I brought a seven eighths open end wrench and not the box wrench. I didn't even know what that was. And like, he just blew up and I'm like, Whoa. So it, it, that uh, I've tried to foster that. And, and mostly as a dad is where it first showed up. It wasn't always there, but I 
it, it's something that I practice. And, and again, to your point, Chris, it's, I think if I, as an educator, if I, as a, an athlete, if I, as a, a, you know, small business owner can take the long view, then ultimately I'm going to be better off as opposed to attaching a whole lot of emotion around uh, those day in day out, those hourly fluctuations of life. Um, I think, I feel like if I can, uh, if I can ride it out, then I'm ultimately going to be more content and and more at peace and, uh, and I'll serve myself better. I'll serve my children better. I'll serve my students better and I'll serve, um, myself better just again in terms of my own my own health so i think so but you'd have to ask the people around me ask jack or the boys they'll be like what that guy it's it's bad because you're you know and i and i agree i think mike is is probably a very patient but when i think about him in the classroom you know i think and we're throwing all kinds of adulation at you that he's a very smart guy so i think in the back of head he's thinking I'm going to outsmart these little fuckers if they try try to go against me. It's not about patience. It's about his, it's about his smarts and able to, you know, just work them. It's, you know, I can't help it. That's where I go. Having a high degree of anticipatory skills is helpful too. So, so knowing uh, what it was like when I was a sixth grader and and the way they think uh, it helps me tremendously because I'm, they're never in front of me. Uh, I'm always at least two steps ahead. I'm like, right. really, guys, come on, really? Right. Do you, do you not think that I was 12 at one point? It, it, you know, that was just a few years ago. Uh, so I'm, I'm right there. <laughs> so, so you talked about taking a long view and um, I can't remember the last time when I wasn't facing parenting challenges. And I think and, and all three of us have kids and I think of parenting as having a lot of similarities with teaching where you have to take the long view because the table isn't ever going to be finished. Um, and I think that's kind of where, where patience comes in handy, but, but do you, how about um, parenting versus teaching? Like what, what do you carry back and forth between those two things? I, I, I guess I would offer for me the, what I hope to bring. And again, there are, three better judges of this than, than me. Uh, what I hope to bring is, and, and this is similar to my classroom. I hope that each of my boys feel seen as the individual that they are and that I'm not applying, uh, a, a template, my template to them and, and they feel seen for who they are. Uh, it's a little bit even more challenging with Kyle and Sam who are twins you know, not identical, but have been lumped together for most of their life. Um, but that patience piece uh, and the the and and the long view for me hopes <laughs> that they recognize that I see them for the wonderful, amazing individual person that they are, and then that I'm not trying to force Jack to start considering Laura's college where I went because I had such a great time there and I made lifelong friends there and I participated in athletics there. And so this experience was wonderful for me. So isn't it naturally wonderful for you? I think yeah, I'm trying to avoid some of those pitfalls that I think are common as parents have adolescence and these kids just are slowly maturing. My goal is to uh, raise them to leave me and not need me. Um, and then also 
to when they reflect back, say, my dad had my back. And I think for me, the, the, the way that that shows up, even in these, so right, they're 15, 13, and 13 right now. It, it, like we all are trying to figure out their place in the world. Um, if, if I knew they could come to me and say, hey, dad, this is going on, then that, that to me means they're, they're comfortable. They're seen for the individual that they are. They're going to be met with kindness and curiosity and compassion. Uh, hopefully no judgment. Um, and I guess for me, those are the, the, the factors or the formula that creates the long view in parenting, or at least a, a successful long view in parenting, kind of relinquishing some, an instinct or an urge to, to, to control and guide and push and, and cajole into a way that I think they should be. Yeah, being being older sense. than you, being older than you guys. I mean, I, I, uh, totally agree with you about, um, raising them to leave you. And, and I think we've done that, but, but in fact, uh, Katie, our oldest, who's 26 was, was just here for corned beef and cabbage. So, um, they come back too. And, and, um, but it's a, it's a different dynamic and it's a, and it's a, and it's a healthier and really pretty enjoyable dynamic. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. Raise them to and, leave you. And when I express that I want them to leave me, I mean that in, in not necessarily even like a physical way if, mm -hmm. to your point, Sean. And, and I love that, you know, she's got the capability to come back and be welcomed. And in my parents are the same way. Um, but I, I, I hope that he wants to come. I hope that they want to come right. see me. And I hope that right. they, we have a healthy enough dynamic at that point where they're able to, and they're not like, Oh man, got to go to my dad's house. It's like, he's the worst. Cause a, B and C, you know, I, 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 you know, I, I think of John Duffy who often cites that example of trying to create a, a, a home environment where they want to come back when they're 22 or 25 or in college and over Thanksgiving break. And that one where they feel judged and uh, pressured and scrutinized. It, it, I want it to be warming, warm and loving and compassionate. And, and I just want, you know, it's your point evolve from a, a it'll always be father son but then it, it i think it that the the view changes to be buddies a little bit more and and, and peers um and i'm hoping that takes place mm -hmm. so mike i want to go back a few steps here um do you is it possible that your dad was thinking shit if mike doesn't know the different types of wrenches he's not going to be able to survive in the world and that that was his way of trying to make sure you were going to be able to leave him that's really funny uh and i'm laughing just even before you got the question out i, I chris if he had that much forethought and attached <laughs> that much meaning to any one of those moments i'd go i'd call him, i'd hang up right now and go call him and hug him because i just i you know i and I, I harbor no no resentment or anger towards my father be, because I think if if I'm curious enough about it, he was doing his best. And he was raised by an even larger overbearing father. And it just passed down and he just didn't have the the sense. And so I'm not I'm not I don't excuse it, but I understand it. And so I, I wish uh, I wish that that it was that way. I just don't I, I don't believe. And I think if you asked either of my four siblings if they believe that it was his method of 
um, you know, toughen us up so so we didn't get spit out, chewed up and spit out by the, the rest of the world. I don't think that's the case. But uh, again, it, it's uh, I don't know. Let's get him on the phone. We'll fire. Let's let's we'll, we'll make this really interesting. I'm worried because I don't even know the difference between wrench and pliers. And, and 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 I'm I'm working my way through each day the best I can. You know, but I don't know shit about that stuff. Well, when I was yeah. ten, I didn't either. Uh, yeah. But apparently, I was expected to. Uh, yeah, I, I was just happy because it said seven eighths, and I was yeah. I thought I was like, yeah, check points. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, George had a different view. Forty six or forty seven, you start a new relationship in your life. Um, uh, one that I believe has given you great joy. Um, can you talk about that transformation for you in your life right now? And, and, you know, kind of how it started and where you're at and sure. kind of the growth that it's had for you. Sure. Yeah. So uh, 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 to do that, I just have to take a half step back just to get yeah. a little bit of context. In, in, yeah. in 2017, after a 14-year uh, marriage, Lynette, the, the boy's mom, and I separated, and then our divorce was finalized in 2019, I think, February 2019. And, and there was there's nothing magical about that elapsed time between those two. We did it ourselves. We went to the courthouse. Uh, it was very amicable. Not a lot to, to, to discuss. The it, it, it was done on our own. So there's the only reason it was done then is just because that's really when we got around to doing it. So um, but, but the marriage effectively ended in 2017 and, uh, the actually three months, and this is actually coincidental three months before I separated, I met Kelly with whom I am in a relationship now. Uh, we were teammates on a uh, running relay. They have these Ragnar running relays where there's teams of people and y'all pile in a van and, and run for 48 hours straight. In, in increments, not each one of us. And when we met that, uh, we were like Facebook friends. We had a mutual friend. That's how, how we came to, to know each other. Uh, both still married at the time. Neither of us, any idea of the marital challenges that the other had. Just it's not one of those things that comes up when you just meet somebody. Uh, and I didn't talk to her or see her really. Again, you know, you'd see Facebook stuff, but we weren't friends. We didn't hang out. Our, our social circles didn't overlap. Uh, fast forward then to 2019, fall of 2019, and we reconnected. Um, it was on a dating app, and she saw me, and she reached out, and she's like, "Mike," I was like, "Kelly," uh, and, and coincidentally, her 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 separation and divorce timeline was very similar to mine, uh, but neither of us had any idea, and so it it it, it feels to me like lightning has struck. In, in that, if I've learned anything, and I hope I have, uh, the sort of, sort of the, 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 the filter system that I used to decide whether or not I wanted to spend time with someone or nurture a relationship became finer and finer and finer. And, and there were things there, you know, Lynette is a wonderful person and she's a wonderful mother and she's a beautiful soul and, and, and amazing in so many ways. But it really became clear to both of us that we weren't the best husband and wife. And, and there were aspects of each of our personalities that, that were important to each of us. And, and each of us were looking for something in a partner that the other one 
doesn't have and, and really isn't going to have. And, and I, that was, we both had to take a real honest, brutal look at the reality of that. Um, and so when, when Kelly and I reconnected, um, we, we, in our judgment, we, we took it slow, but for each of us, and I, I won't speak for her, but I think what was present in, in each of us, in, in her and, and in, in me for her, were those things, many of the aspects that had been missing in our prior relationship. So all of a sudden we went, huh, hmm. And we gave it time and we let it happen very naturally and organically. And it just became one of those things where I was like, oh, hmm. So a, a, a partner can be like this. A partner can possess these things. And in, it really, it, it highlighted for me the idea that, and, and I've expressed this to, to others, I've expressed this to Kelly, uh, and, and she feels the same way, um, where she doesn't need me and I don't need her, but the presence of Kelly in my life is wonderful. And, and my, and I'm happier, I'm happier with her in it. Uh, if she were gone, I'd still be hundred percent Mike and she would still be hundred percent Kelly. And, and I wasn't able to say that before mm. in, in my marriage where the absence of that other person still left me complete. And that's something that I've certainly learned from the time that I've been separated and divorced, how important it is for me to just pause the truck, maybe back it up a little bit, get to a point where I'm comfortable as a, as a person in my own skin, um, comfortable being alone, comfortable being with somebody, um, and, and really trusting the voice in my head. Um, and I tell Kelly this as well, like I auditioned a good 12 to 15 people before she showed up. And, and it's not like she was waiting in the wings. I said, hold on while I figure this out. But I really put myself out there and it sucked uh, because I would go on these dinners and dates or whatever and be like, like within 10 minutes, be like, nope, nope, nope. Um, but what it really did was just solidify for me and, and it accentuates how happy I am with Kelly, uh, because all of a sudden it was like, and I, I kind of kept like checking him over my shoulder. Am I, am I on hidden camera? Like, is this like, is there, is this real? Like, are we, is this happening as naturally and as organically and as, as genuinely as it feels? And it turns out that it was. So, um, I, had we connected in 2017, I don't think we'd be here, uh, 2018, even it, it, it took me quite a long time, uh, I mean, it took me all that time, uh, a solid two years, two and a half years to get to a point where I was ready to be open enough to, to be in a relationship that felt so uh, like symbiotic and mutually beneficial and just just connected in a way that I that I hadn't felt in years. And again, uh, you know, I don't know. But so Mike, um, I, I, I hope that we have time. Uh, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about your rim to rim to rim um, efforts. Um, and hopefully we can make time for that. But, but there, there's, there's a, there's something about what you did there that I, I feel like maybe relates to sort of maybe the last five to seven years of your life. Um, 
one one of my favorite quotes is from an old Prussian general, which is, uh, "No plan survives first contact with enemy." I don't know if you guys have ever heard that before. Mike Tyson had a funny version of that, which was, <laughs> "Everyone has a plan until they get punched in the until mouth, they get punched right? in the right." Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's and, how I felt going into the Grand Canyon. Well, so <laughs> that, that's where I'm going. I'm like, um, at some point in that rim to rim to rim, you had to come to grips with the fact that things weren't going to work out as planned. And I said, make up the story in my life about your marriage with Lynette and the whole coming to grips with, well, what do I do next? And, and is it okay to end the marriage and all that stuff? So I don't know, does that resonate at all? And could you talk about that? Yeah, absolutely. It does resonate. And I, and then I, I think there are, there's some, some analogous factors there. And, and, you know, when I got married, I got married fairly late. So I was, I was 30 years old when I met Lynette, we were 32. I was 32 when we were married. Uh, I had, our oldest Jack when I was, uh, when we were, when I was 34. So it, I felt like I had, like, I felt like I knew. And I felt like I had made a real sound decision with all the data that I had to, to, to talk to, to a data guy. I felt like I had all the pieces of the puzzle and I just didn't, uh, I didn't know what I didn't know about my own emotional needs and, and about what I was hoping for in a partner. And so at the time I made the best decision I could, and it was, um, it's excruciating to tear those, those fibers apart. I mean, we, at that point we had had a 16 year relationship uh, and we still have a very amicable relationship. Uh, I talk to Lynette regularly and, and see the boys and her regularly. Um, part of, I, I think what, or, or where the, where the overlap is between between the rib to rib experience, which we'll talk about, and then and then even just the end of my marriage and then and my new relationship with Kelly is a recognition that not that the past doesn't matter, but it almost doesn't matter. Like so the past doesn't matter, but it matters in every way. And so what I mean is I could spend a lot of time looking backwards and being like, oh boy, just filled with with regret or or uh, self-doubt or just questioning decisions or choices that I had made. Or I can say, well, all I've got, all I can do is just keep going, just keep going. And, and it was sort of a mantra in the Grand Canyon and it's part of my mantra at the time. So coming out of that separation and divorce was about the lowest, not about, it was the lowest period of my life, a tremendous struggle emotionally, uh, mentally. And part of what felt so rewarding and enriching about developing the relationship with Kelly was that first I was ready. And then two, it felt like I needed to seize on an opportunity that if I didn't was going to pass. And, and we joke that, and, and my therapist often tells me, you know, Mike, sometimes that people get it right the second time around. And, and we, so we, we joke with each other about that. Um, and then like joke, but, but serious though. Mm -hmm. Um, but then we also expressed that this isn't a dress rehearsal. This isn't, I'm not getting ready for some other time. And, and there will always be a reason to not do something. I can come up with a million reasons not to step foot in the grand Canyon. There's a million of them, but there are a lot of good ones to try. And, and there are a million reasons why I could have put the brakes on a relationship with Kelly, a lot of them, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more scared of, of regret than I am of what 
if, if I, if I know that I'm operating from my heart, if I know that I'm operating, uh, with genuine love, concern, uh, consideration, not only for me, but for the boys as well. That was a big part of it too. She has two children who are of a similar age. Um, you know, if she lived in Rockford and her kids were college aged, uh, you know, she'd still be the same person, but I don't know that this would work as well. And so those are, they aren't the factors, but there are more factors and more pieces of data that weigh in on to why this could work and does work really well for us. Um, and it seems a little harsh to say that, like that I wouldn't be willing to drive to Rockford to, to date. Um, but the pragmatic side of me is like, well, I, but I wouldn't, <laughs> and it, it feels cold and harsh, but it's true. Um, so I, I feel like if, if I, I've tried to nurture the courage to just take the leap, even when I'm, I'm not entirely sure of the outcome. And, and I think both of these things are, are like that. I didn't know what was going to happen. Stepping foot into the Grand Canyon. I, I sure as hell did not know what was going to happen with that. And, and uh, do I know for certain how this is going to play out? No, I don't. I have a really good idea where it's going and I hope it just goes in one direction and that's together um, for, for years and years and years, but like much, uh, I, w- without the leap. Yeah. So Mike, so, oh, oh, let, me, let me do a quick follow-up Sean. Uh, so, cause Mike and I co-wrote a blog post about Dak Prescott and his asking for help. Uh, you mentioned a therapist. I also know you've leaned on our men living, our men's group a fair bit. Um, part of me wants to to be a smart ass and say, did your dad teach you how to ask for help? I, I suspect the answer is no to that. Um, well, or yes. Or part of you, you just did it. So it wasn't the part of you. You just asked the question. So (laughs) I know, but that served as as like a disclaimer for my smart assery. But, but I genuinely want to hear you talk about like, would you, would you have succeeded in this big, massive transition without, without help from those places? No, not at all. And, 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 and I think to, to most effectively answer that, the, so the short answer is no. The, the medium length answer is when Todd first approached me to join the tribe at the time, it was brand new. So this is fall of 2012. And I really didn't know Todd. I kind of thought he was a buffoon because uh, he just sort of had his way about him. I thought he was kind of like a show pony who would, so his, middle child and my oldest Jack are the same age. So they were, they were in class together at the elementary school. I didn't really know him. He, we would see each other in front of the elementary school, picking up our kids at at the end of the day. And one day, and, and, and he, Kathy had had experience with me at, at the church that we went to at the time where she said, you should probably introduce yourself to Mike Rosen with, we won't tell that story. It's just, it's, because we don't have to, we can fast forward to the point where Todd came up and he's like, do you want to join this men's group? I think you, it might align with your, your mindset and your approach. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. And, and I really believe that I had life figured out and I didn't need, I didn't need anybody to help me because I had it figured out. I had it dialed in. Uh, and, and I went for a run that afternoon and it occurred to me that this was an instance where the speed at which I reject an idea is, is inversely related to my need for it. And this was a really classic example of that, where I, I was just like, no, 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 but I went. And again, that was almost nine years ago. And, and I've, I've relied on the support of men living for a long time. Now that said, and, and I, I don't, I haven't told 
many people about this, but I lied through my teeth for years when I was struggling uh, with the separation and the divorce, even, even some of the marital challenges leading up to that. Todd would ask, Frank would ask, every people would ask, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm fine. I didn't know, I didn't have the courage to, I didn't have the vulnerability. I didn't have the capability to let that guard down. I, I had it up. I was armored up and, and I didn't let um, many people in on that until uh, way later, um, 2018, probably end of 2018. Um, and I just didn't know how and, or it just didn't happen, but I wouldn't be where I am right now without the men in that group and, and, and without all of you guys, whether it was just the, you know, the month in the month out, the, the retreats that we have, all of it have all contributed to, to me being in a, in a healthy and happy place. Um, absolutely. 100% unequivocally would not be here, uh, at all. So, so the first thing I want to do for, for, for the other three people that are listening to this podcast is you've introduced the idea of the rim to rim to rim. And I think we should probably explain to them what that is and what your experience is. And then I want to come back to something you said about your relationship with Kelly, but let's, 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 let's reveal for folks that don't know what that is. Do you want me to do it, Chris? Yeah. Oh, um, hell yeah. So it was fall of 2018, I think. And a buddy of mine who he used to live in Chicago, we knew each other from the running community. We were colleagues at Fleet Feet Sports in the city. He lives in Denver now. And he called me and he said, or he texted and said, you ever heard of rim to rim to rim? And I think I replied, again, something smart ass, something dirty. <laughs> of course. Right. It was like you know, the, the 11 year old reptilian brain said, <laughs> which, no, which but probably it could be fine. <laughs> and he said, just Google it. So I Google it. And the rim to rim to rim refers to the rims of the Grand Canyon and the, uh, of, the event or, or what it is, what it, what it represents is starting typically at the Southern rim, excuse me, going down into the Canyon, going across the Canyon, up out of the Canyon to the Northern rim, turning around, coming back down that Northern side, back across the Canyon, and then back up to the Southern rim. I'm like, okay. And I think it's uh 50, it's in like the 50 mile range. I forget exactly. It depends on the route you take. You can go in a couple of ways, come out a couple of ways, but it's in the, it's in the 50 to 54 mile range or something like that. And I said, well, yeah, it sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, how many days are we going to take to do that? And he goes one. I'm like, what? He goes, no, we're just going to do it in one, one fell swoop. I'm like, we're just going to, we're just going to do that. I go every, like all these other little stories that I've read, all these magazine articles talk about, camping in two days or three he's like no we're doing it once and i said um all right i'm in <laughs> I said, let's do it uh, and i had no idea what i was getting into so now again uh they all live in denver they all trail run in the mountains regularly they all have this stuff literally in their backyards to be able to train and i i, I approached it with like many things just sort of a blind naivety um and it, it, it worked out for the most part. 
Did you you did some uh, you did some hill training in Elmhurst there? Is that what you did? Yeah, you know, uh, you can go. There's that one parking garage. I think it's a three story parking garage. And just <laughs> crush that time after time. I did my best. Uh, you know, I went I went down to Palos. Uh, I did the swallow cliff stuff, just trying to get as much vertical as I could. But it's not the same. Yeah, <laughs> I right. mean, oh, it's not the same as the Grand Canyon. No, it's not the same as the Grand Canyon. Um, and I had never been to the Grand Canyon before. Never seen it. Heard a lot about it. So Mike, I've never seen it. When you when you when you decided that you weren't going to make it to the North Rim and back, um, were you the only guy in the group who who made that decision? Or it's uh, a good question. Now, so the, there were there were about I think twenty people who traveled from Denver who were in this group, and and there were a lot of like small groups within that group. I ran so. I ran, I started with two other guys, my good buddy, Mark, and another uh, friend of his who I just met, his name was Kent. And, and we started like 2.30 in the morning and it was 26 degrees, still as can be, um, it was beautiful. And we started running headlamps. Now I've never run with a headlamp in my life. I've never run, I've never trail run with a headlamp in my life. And when I tell this story, people say, well, you're just making this part up. I'm not making this part up. They were gone. I lost them. I lost sight of them in 30 seconds. <laughs> so let's just say we started at 2.30 a.m. sharp. They were gone by 2.30 a.m. in 30 seconds. I literally couldn't see them, didn't know where they were, couldn't track their headlights going down. It's not like taking an escalator down. <laughs> it's not like, you know, you're, you're, they just go back and forth like at Disney World. And you're like, hey, wait up. I'll be right there. No, I, they were literally gone. And I was like, what the holy frick you am I swear. doing? You could swear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, right, that's a podcast. <laughs> right? We're not on the TV. I no, 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 yeah. We had, um, yeah. I went through, so they were gone. And so when you ask, was I the only one to make that decision? Uh, no, I, well, I was the only one who made that decision because I literally ran by myself for the next, well, I finished like at 2 p.m. So I was running for like 12 hours. I made that decision only because at the, um, so, go all the way down uh, by the time i got down it was dawn like 6 a.m by the time i got to the colorado river and the silver bridge uh it was like 6 or 6 30 a.m ran across a bunch and as i was running across as i was i think three miles from where you begin the ascent back out to the north rim uh -huh. someone coming the other way said the water's turned off at whatever i forget the name of it at whatever the next little base camp is because this is april of 2019 now um when we actually went there and ran and they're like, yeah, the water's turned off and I was running out of water. And so I just did the math in my head. So what I realized in this, in, in trying to take this on is there aren't many plan B's in the grand Canyon. Uh -huh. There aren't, you don't have, I don't have much choice to get out. There's one way out and right. that's up and out. And I was, I knew that, so I kept thinking to myself, and, and though I'm generally a, a, a positive thinking, uh, I have a, 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 I think, a solutions-based mindset. My, I had to play the other side and say, well, how does this go bad? It goes bad if I roll an ankle and hurt myself and I can't, I literally can't run. But the other side of it is nutrition. It goes bad if I get dehydrated. It goes uh -huh. bad if I run out of calories and that's it. Right. So there was no way that I was going to do that. So I, I just had to do the mental math on what I was able, like how far I could go 
with the water that I had. And, and I had a uh, hundred ounces on my back when we went in, I refilled at the ranch down by the river. I forget the name of the ranch. Uh, I refilled there, but I knew that I couldn't do those. Like it was, I think another eight and a half miles back up and back down to the point where I was without more water. And so I said, I have to turn around at this point. And so at that point I was, I think 15 and a half or 16 miles in and said, I just got to turn around because I don't, it's no one, if this goes bad, it's no one's fault, but my own, it's, it's my, it, it was, it's my choice. I know better. And I'd like to maybe play the conservative side of this. <laughs> this is like in the, in, in the grand Canyon might not be the time to experiment. If I'm running around Elmhurst, I'll experiment all day. If I'm on the prairie path, you know, I can Uber home. Good but call. there's no way out. You have to do it. Yeah. You have to get out on your own two feet. It's not like you can be like, um, could you send a helicopter? If you're gravely hurt, yes, but that's you know, or on the back of a mule. Uh, but I didn't want to do either of those things. So I, I I made the decision, and there was no again. I didn't see so <laughs> I didn't see those guys until 4 p.m. When they finally came out, they went all the way back out. They did they did like I think 51 or 52 miles. They went up the North Rim, came back down. Uh, I finished around two o'clock and, and had a lot of celebratory beers by myself in the parking <laughs> lot because everybody else was still running. Well, and that, and that, and that's my next point that I want to get to the, 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 the really powerful and interesting point you made about your relationship with Kelly is that <clears throat> you're, you're, you're each whole on your own, comfortable with who you are, comfortable being alone um, a lot of strength and power in that. Um, based on your story, I don't think you were always always there. So, so what transition did you make from 2017 to now, where you can say the power of my relationship with my significant other is born in the fact that I am great, being just who I am, and bringing and and and, and not having to attach to this other person in order to be whole? You know, it, it, that's an interesting question, Sean. And, and it, uh, it came, I, I can almost remember, I remember the time frame when those realizations really started to crystallize. And, and part of it was, uh, I drew it out. I'm a very visual person. And I drew a circle. And that circle was, is 100% me. And then within that circle, I drew another circle that butted up against the edge. And that circle was about 20% I would offer of that interior volume. And I realized that I had been operating the first 47 years of my life, viewing life. So let me back up. So what that left then was 80% Mike and 20% inadequate, inferior, not good enough Mike. And I had operated my entire life viewing first through the inadequacy lens where I said to myself, well, you don't have to do so well because you've been, you're just not good enough and, and you're not enough. And, and, and part of that, you know, we, we can talk about this for a long time, goes just back to wanting just to hear it from my dad, say, dad, can you just let me know? And like, I would never say this in a million years, but can you just tell me like, I'm a good kid? Can you, can I just be met with some form of approval, but I had no approval at all. And I think that's just where all that lied. And it seems, it sounds so fundamental 
and I think it, it is fundamental, but it wasn't until that point where I realized how, how much I was limiting, how much I had limited myself up to that point, um, professionally, personally, um, intellectually by, by, by viewing myself that way. Uh, I, I remember thinking it was like looking at me through the wrong side of the telescope mm-hmm. and being like, Oh, well, there's Mike over there. The, like the, the reduced small mic, but I, and again, I can remember precisely where I was and, and I have the journal upstairs where I started coming to these realizations, how I had spent my life doing that. And when I finally flipped the telescope around, I realized, Oh, I'm not all those things. I'm not inferior. I'm not inadequate. I'm not, uh, you know, I don't have to compare myself to all my peers who are doing A, B, and C and have X, Y, and Z homes and bank accounts and cars. This isn't your, you'll, it, it was a losing formula. And I felt a tremendous amount of liberation in that realization. I felt a tremendous amount of sadness realizing how much I had limited myself that way with that mindset and that, uh, that framework. But once I was able to shed that, then that allowed me to take comfort in choices and decisions that I knew were complete, that I knew I was looking at it from a hundred percent mic and I was looking at it from the correct end of the telescope and not, and not, not the other way around. So, so it's just, uh, just, just your own, um, internal inquiry really was the process that you went through to get to that. Uh, no, no. And then you know, year, um, a whole lot of time spent with the tribe of men living and, and, and I, I feel like I could have given up in terms of seeking out that just new information or, or a, a, but I knew there was something there. I knew there was, you know, mining for gold. I, I, if I kept working and it's again, somewhat analogous to the long view, if I just keep going at this, if I just keep going, I'm going to figure this out at some point. And when I do, it's gonna, it's gonna be liberating. Cause I, cause I know that it was in there. I knew that it, I had to, I just had to figure it out. And so through the work that we do through the group, through men living, uh, through the work that I do with my therapist, eventually it came out and, and I have an amazing relationship with my therapist, uh, cause she's seen, the effort that I've put in to try and get to this point. Uh, and I hope that I've expressed to you guys who have been part of men living and, and friends of mine for years, how much I appreciate you guys and, and what this whole group brings the, 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 this connection. I, um, I, I wouldn't be here again. I know I said that earlier, but it's true. It, it I, I couldn't have done it. Oh, I don't know that it would have been a lot harder and taken me a lot longer to do it entirely on my own. So, um, I think it was a combination. Well, Mike, I will say you, um, you have been able to make me laugh. Uh, unlike, uh, most people in my life for many years, even through some of the hard years. Um, but it just gives me real joy to see you living so fully right now these days and and so joyfully. So, um, I just Thank wanted you. to get that out there. I love you. Um, oh, I, we, I love you, Chris. We have, um, we have, uh, at least in the early you. days, back at you, Sean. Um, I love you too, Sean. Thank you. Uh, in the early days of this nascent podcast, um, we're trying to ask people four basic questions. This is kind of like at the end of Actor Studio, um, right? And just, I just want to, if you can give just quick, uh, sort of off the top of your head, answers. You do look like James Lipton. 
uh, I've gained a little weight. Well, I'm not. No, gonna, I, I'm not going to facial hair. <laughs> it's a facial hair. Facial hair, lack of head hair. Is that the combination? <laughs> yeah, and just your intellectual tech. You know, just the, you just come across as polished. <laughs> uh, all right, here we go. Here we go. All right, uh, number one, lightning uh, round. What do you wish you could have told your ten-year-old self? You're enough. Thank you. Uh, what was the most formative year of your life? This year. Ooh. What do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? He was a good guy. And then finally, do you have a mantra in life or, or even a mantra these days? Just keep going. Awesome. That's great. Mike, thank you for spending time with us. Thank Thanks you guys. It was fun. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out at menliving.org.